Welcome, everyone. So good to have all of you at all of our churches, Bluntstown, Chipley, and Mariana. Hey, uh, before we jump into today's conversations, two things that I want to share with you. First of all, I want to celebrate with you what you allowed God to do through you as a church by being for others in our community. Two weeks ago, we invited everyone to give $4 to bless the underserved students in our communities, those students who weren't guaranteed that they would have a meal outside of school hours. So here is how we help the Backpack for Kids organizations in each of our communities um, take on this cause. So Bluntstown, you gave $2,806.99 to your community to help with the Backpack for Kid program. Chipley, $1,637.44 to your community. Mariana, $7,228.38 sent for a total of $11,674.51 to make sure these underserved kids are blessed. So thank you so much for being just uh, continue to be a church that even though you may not see firsthand impact of the difference that you're making, your generosity to these organizations are absolutely going to help these community organizations be able to help fewer students go hungry after they leave school and outside of school hours. So just again, as I always say, thank you so much for being a no-strings-attached, generous kind of church. Because as we say, I mean, our, our Lord and Savior Jesus, he loved us so much that he gave. And so love, you can't love without giving. So thank you for being that kind of church. Now, the second thing that I want to share with you is in two weeks, we're going to be having evening of vision. Now, if you're just kind of new to RCC, you're not really familiar with what that is. It's when all of our churches come together at our Mariana location. We're going to talk about more about what God um, is doing in and through you and has done as you have used your, through the generosity of your time, your talents, and your resources. And then also some things that we see that God is leading us toward as a church as well. And so mark your calendars for September the 24th. It's at 5 p.m. evening of vision. You want to make sure that you're a part of that. And you don't want to miss the after party. Plan for that as well. So about 6 o'clock when the evening of vision's over, we'll all gather on the Mariana campus, have time of food, fellowship. Awesome time last time. I don't think you want to miss it this time either. It's going to be really, really good. So go ahead and grab your Bibles and uh, anything you want to take notes on today as we are in our sixth part of our series entitled Nav Plan. And now when we began this series, we introduced the idea that everything has a starting point. Like we said, you had a starting point, your career, your parenting, your recovery, your financial uh, world had a starting point. Everything has a starting point and your faith has a starting point too. In fact, your idea of faith had a starting point. So in this series, we've kind of been hitting the reset button, and we've been thinking about, well, if we knew nothing about God and faith, and we're starting or starting over as adults, where would we start to explore faith and to experience and have a vibrant kind of faith? Now, the challenge with doing that is that if you're a person of faith or you used to be a person of faith, at some point in your faith, your faith, it had a starting point. So you picked up some beliefs maybe as a child from the church or from a pastor or maybe from your parents. For a lot of us, it happened when we were children. Whenever a parent or a priest or a pastor said, hey, here's what you need to believe. And because we trusted them, we just believed that. But then we started growing up. And there was this gap between the simplistic faith of our childhood and the very real life pressures of adulthood. And everything just didn't add up. Like question, questions didn't seem to have good answers. God didn't always answer your prayer, even if you believe that he would. I mean, bad things happen to good people sometimes. And so you try to figure out, what do I do with these gaps? 
So for some of us, what it meant for us is we disengaged and we walked away or we walked away from our faith or maybe you just kind of compartmentalized. You put your little faith in a compartment that you pulled out on Sunday and then you just go through the motions on Sunday. And that's about the extent of your faith. But that's not the kind of faith that Jesus came to introduce. When Jesus came to introduce a new view of faith, he said, Here, here's what faith that I have for you. It's a faith that can withstand all the pressures of life, including the adult pressures of life. That's why for the last few weeks, we've been having this conversation and saying, well, what would it look like to have an adult starting point of faith? Like if you could forget everything you've ever been taught about faith or Jesus and just start over, where would you start? So today what we're gonna do is we're gonna pick up the conversation by talking about one behavior that we all have in common when it comes to relating to God. And let me just say something about this behavior. This behavior is part of the reason that many of us do not have an adult kind of faith that can withhandle or withstand the adult size pressure that we experience in life. Now, when I tell you what this one behavior is, most likely you wouldn't have guessed that as like your first guess. But I think all of us, all of our churches, Blountstown, Chipley, Marion, I think all of us, you're going to agree that we all have it in common. And you go, what is this thing that we have in common? And that is this. We all have the tendency to bargain with God. And many of you are nodding in agreement, even kind of quietly chuckling to yourself. Because you know what I'm talking about, right? Like you were late coming home as a teenager and you said, God, if you'll just make sure my parents are asleep when I sneak in, I promise I'm gonna be at church. I'll go to summer camp with all the other students in our youth group. I'll even throw a stick in the fire at the end and make a commitment. And we all kind of laugh about that because the reality is we've all bargained with God, haven't we? Like people in every religious system, they bargain with God. As adults, it's God, if you'll just not let my boss see that I'm late again. Or if you'll just give us the money to do this one thing. Or if you'll just not let her find out. Or if you'll just bring them back. Or if you'll just let the test be negative, then I'll do this or I'll do this or I won't do this or I won't do this. Like, this is just true for all of us, isn't it? Now, here's the other thing I know about this whole thing of bargaining with God. And that is this. We don't keep our end of the bargain, do we? Like, we never do. Because when it works out in your favor, I mean, especially you guys, you men will go, man, I got lucky. Man, I, I, you know, I dodged that bullet this time. Maybe some of you ladies say that too. But here's the thing. We don't assume that God orchestrated things. Like, we just chalk it up to good fortune. You told your friend, oh, I was lucky when I got home. My mom and dad, they had already fallen asleep or my boss had an early morning meeting and wasn't there or she had to go out of town. I had an extra day to finish the project. Like, none of us follow through on our end of the promise with God, do we? We just move on with our lives. We go right back to doing what we were doing before because we are terrible at keeping our end of the bargain. Now, here's the thing. Whenever we bargain with God, whenever we negotiate with God, we are making two very bold assumptions. Now, the first assumption is this. The first assumption is that God knows I exist. Like, that's a really big assumption. 
So if you have ever negotiated with God, if you've ever bargained with God, then you have more faith than you realize. Like you actually believe the God of the universe is paying attention to you, knows that you're here, sees what you're going through, actually cares. It's why you go into this bargaining negotiation with him. That's some really big faith. Congratulations. Many of you have bigger faith in God than what you realize. But here's the second assumption. And this is the one that we want to spend our time on this morning. And it's this. It's the assumption that I have something that God wants. Now, that's a pretty bold assumption as well, wouldn't you say? Like when you start negotiating with God, when you start bargaining with God, you're assuming that you're bringing something to the table that God wants from you. For you, it's like, oh, how about a little obedience, God? Like, I know you want a little bit of obedience, don't you? So, God, you do what I want, and I'll obey you, and I'll do this and this as well. Or, God, how about some church attendance? Like, I know you want me to show more at church more than I do, so you give me what I want, and I'll make it at least three weeks in a row. Okay, if that's not good enough, God, I know what I'll do. I bet you want some of my money. Like, I hear those preachers care about all that, just that's all they care about. So, so here's the deal, God. You do my deal and I got a crisp $10 bill. Well, by the way, God, inflation has happened. I'll make it a $20 bill, but that's it. But you do my deal first, right? Now, we kind of laugh about that. We kind of jokingly talk about this, but the reality is when you stop and think about it, when you negotiate with God, when you bargain with God, you actually assume that you have something that God wants. But here's what I can tell you this morning. If you're going to develop a dull, an adult starting point of faith, you need to understand something. And this is one of the core teaching that separates Christianity from any other faith. And you go, what is that core teaching? It is this. God doesn't want anything from you. He wants something for you. And I love talking about this because this is at the heart of the message that Jesus shared. Like God doesn't want anything from you. In fact, he certainly doesn't need anything from you. Think about it. He is the creator of the universe. He is the sustainer of all things. He created and made all things. But that's why negotiating or bargaining with God, it never works. God refuses to come to the bargaining table because he's God. He doesn't want or need anything from you. You've got nothing that he wants or needs. But God does want something for you. So in spite of our silly bargaining and our silly negotiations, God still interacts with us because of what he wants for us. Now, there's a great word that we have in Christianity to explain the heart of God for us, to help us understand why God interacts with us, even though he doesn't bargain or negotiate with us. And it's one powerful, life-changing kind of word. And it's this word here. It's the word grace. See, grace is at the core of our Christian faith. Grace is at the heart of how God relates to us. Jesus taught that it is a constant that never changes. In fact, John, who was one of Jesus' closest friends, he says that God sent Jesus and he was full of grace, 100% grace, and he says he was also full of truth, 100% truth. So God interacts with us through this amazing thing called grace. And you go, well, what do you mean by grace? 
Well, here's our definition. Let me give you the definition. Grace is the unearned, undeserved, unmerited favor of God. It's unearned in the sense that I'm getting something for nothing. It's undeserved in the sense that there's no way that I can ever make a case that I deserve it. It is unmerited in that there is nothing that I can ever do or about who I am that warrants that I receive grace. Now, what's interesting about this thing in grace is that the Apostle Paul, he wrote about this idea of grace in all of his writings, in all of his epistles. In fact, one of the most famous texts is found in the letter that he wrote to Christians in Ephesus. And so um, we looked at part of this in our um, First Love series over the summer, but there's just so much more here. I want to go back to this, and you know this is one of my favorite um, uh, books in the New Testament. So as you remember from our First Love series over the summer, Ephesus was this port city in the first century, and the Apostle Paul, he had started a church there. But if you know much about the Apostle Paul, you know before he was a church starter, he was a Jesus hater. But one day, he had this encounter with God that convinced him that he was absolutely wrong, that he was sinning against God, and he was sinning against the church. And when he acknowledged that he was wrong, that he was a sinner in need of a Savior, he experienced grace and forgiveness from Jesus that changed him forever. Don't miss the power of life-changing grace, because from that point on, the Apostle Paul, he did not care what he had to suffer to let other people know about God's grace. And so when he writes these words that we're about to read, it's about A.D. 65, and he's sitting in a Roman prison cell. And he wants his readers and all of us to know what it means when we embrace the life-changing grace of God. So he starts out with the bad news. And I want you to listen to how bad the bad news is, and then we'll get to the new good news. So if you got your Bibles, go to Ephesians chapter 2. We're going to begin in verse 1. Here's what the Apostle Paul writes. He says, as for you, and when he says, as for you, he's not talking about the person sitting beside you. He's talking about you, every one of us. He says, as for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins. Now, you might start out thinking, well, he could have been a little more positive when he started this, more optimistic. No, because this is reality. This is our reality. And I don't want you to miss this. You have to realize and you have to admit how desperate you are, how sinful you are, how dead you were in your relationship with God to see how amazing grace is. Don't miss that. See, you are where you are. Where you are, the apostle Paul says, is you are a sinner in need of a savior. You are not a mistaker. You're not even a premeditated mistaker. You are a sinner. In other words, you don't just have some bad habits. You don't just have a few weak moments. You just don't need to rehab your ways. Your relationship with God, it was dead because you killed it. It was separated because you intentionally did things that broke your relationship with God. It's called disobedience. And then he goes on to describe just how bad things were for you and me Next part of verse two, he says, as for you, you are dead in your transgressions and sins in which you, that's not the person sitting beside you. Again, he's talking to each one of us individually in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world. 
We'd all have to go, yep, I did that. And the ruler of the kingdom of the air, yep, did that. The spirit who now is at work in those who are disobedient. And we'd all have to go, yep, that's what I did. But he gets worse. In fact, he goes on in verse three, notice what he says. All of us, this is not, okay, some of you are better than other people. No, 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 no. He goes, all of us, we also lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our flesh. You go, yep. And following his desires and thoughts, yes, we did that. Like the rest, we were by nature deserving of wrath. Let's let that settle in for a little bit. Because all of this is the Apostle Paul's way of saying, you should reap what you sow. And let's be honest. Some of the things that we've sown, it's been great disobedience toward God. You made choices that did not live up to God's standard. And you knew some of it at the time. In fact, you don't even live up to your own standard. You, you sometimes violate your own conscience. I mean, like you have intentionally and deliberately done things that you knew would separate you from others and from God. And, and the truth is, the apostle Paul is saying, hey, you deserve, you're deserving of all the consequences that catch up with you. Think about that. He's saying, you deserve the wrath that your choices created, which means if you would come to God and you would pull up a chair and you would sit down and you would negotiate with God, here's what he's saying. God would have all the bargaining power. I mean, he would be like, so you're trying to get me to be like this genie in the bottle for you by promising me that you'll show up at church more? How about you just do what I say or I'll send you to straight eternal damnation? Like, how about we bargain like that? I mean, the Apostle Paul is saying, well, that's what we deserve. We're deserving of wrath. The Apostle Paul says, hey, those choices that we've all made, we should reap what we sow because we've gratified the craving of our flesh. It's followed its thoughts and desires like the rest of everybody around us. We were by nature deserving of wrath. But then the Apostle Paul gives us something amazing this extraordinary kind of hope. And this is the hope at the heart of Jesus' message. I want you to see what he says in the next verse because in the next verse, he makes a statement, two words at the beginning of the verse that I just think when the apostle Paul was sitting in prison writing this, being inspired by the Holy Spirit, he thought back to the moment in time when he experienced what he's about to write. Notice what he says in verse four. He says, but God, wow. It's like he's going, yeah, all that's in the past is true, but God. And it's almost like, man, but God. And then, then he begins to unpack what that means. He says, but God, he's like, I was desert, deserving of eternal separation from God, eternal damnation. But God, because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ, even when we were dead in trans 
transgression. So the apostle Paul goes, oh yeah, we were so hopeless. We deserve the wrath of God. The consequences should have been eternal separation from God. But God, because of his, everybody say this with me, all of our churches, because of his great love for us. It's not your promises. It's not your goodness. It's not your church attendance. It's not your obedience. It's not your money. He's saying God does everything in your life because of his great love for you. It's the only motivation that God has, love. God is love. It's why God doesn't want anything from you. It's why God wants something for you because he loves you that much. So the apostle Paul says, he's a God who has great love for us, but notice this next part. He's a God who is rich in mercy. He's a God whose great love is so great we can't comprehend it. And he's so rich in mercy. In other words, he has mercy to spare. If you've ever ate a dessert, then you go, oh, that is so rich. You're thinking, oh, they, couldn't, they didn't have to put all that sugar in there. You know, like, all that sweetener didn't have to be there. There was sweetener to spare, which is good news for some of us because many of us, we have tested the limits on this. I mean, some of you tested the limits this week. And what the apostle Paul is saying is, listen, you can't outrun God's love And you can't outrun his mercy. He has mercy to spare. And the Apostle Paul, he understands this from all of his past experience. I mean, remember when he started out? He started out persecuting the church. He started out imprisoning Christians. He even had some killed. And then he had this but God moment. When God spoke into his life, And he experienced God's grace. And his whole life, his desires, his purpose, everything about his life changed out of gratitude for what God did for him. And just like the Apostle Paul, when you have your but God moment, God did this for me, but God did this for me, and I didn't deserve it. But God did this for me, and I was a wretched sinner. When you have that but God moment, when you embrace that, everything changes. In fact, here's how the Apostle Paul summed it up in verse 8. He says, for it is by grace you have been saved through faith. Now, some of you go, saved. I've heard that word all of my life. I don't even really know what it means. Saved literally means I've been invited back into a relationship with God. Saved means I have been saved from the penalty of my sin. My my debt's been paid. Jesus took it on himself on the cross. The consequences, the eternal consequences aren't gonna come down on me. Now, I may experience some consequences here in this life, but the eternal consequence of a separation and damnation It's like, I've been saved from the penalty of that. Saved also means I've been saved from the power of my sin. My sinful habits don't control me anymore because God's grace empowers me to desire other things. Desires to be more like Jesus out of gratitude for what he's done for me. 
And saved means one day I'll be saved from the presence of sin. Like there'll be none of that left when I am in the presence of Jesus. There will be nothing sinful, nothing that in any way stains my relationship with God or others there. No sin. All we have to do, he says, is we have to trust in God completely. He says, notice, it is by grace that you've been saved through what? Faith. And last week we talked about what that means. It means to trust God completely. In other words, has there been that moment when you came before God and said, God, I am a sinner in need of a savior. And I trust your work on the cross to be the payment for all of my sin. And when you're saying that, could God trust that you are saying that with integrity and sincerity? In fact, the apostle Paul goes on and he says, and this is not from yourself, this grace, even this faith is not from yourself. It's the gift of God, not by works so that no one can boast. He's like, when you truly understand God's grace in your life, you you don't boast anymore. It's, It's not about how much better you are than other people. In fact, you know, one of the things that helps us understand that we don't understand grace in our life, God's grace in our life, if you've ever compared yourself to somebody else, that's a form of boasting. You ever said, well, I'm better than that person or I'm better than all these people. Or I, you know, I'm so much better than my spouse, or I'm so much better than my parents, or I'm so much better than my coworkers. It's, it's every time we compare, it's a statement that I really don't understand fully God's amazing grace. And the reality is we don't, do we? And the apostle Paul is coming along and saying, hey, listen, it's a gift from God. It's not by works. It's not a trade. It's not a negotiation. There's no bargaining. Forgiveness and grace and mercy are yours as a gift of God. It's unearned, it's undeserved, it's unmerited, and it's unconditional because God, who is rich in mercy, he offers it to us because of his great love. Now, that's the theological part. Let's talk about this in the practical sense because some of you, you weren't taught this. Some of you were taught, as we talked about a couple of weeks ago, you had the work model of being a relationship with God or you had the in-law model of being a relationship with God and, and you're still trying to figure out where you fit in this and you're still trying to get God's approval to, to be good enough for God to approve of you. That's why some of you walked away from faith because you realized, I just can't even live up to the standard that you've created for me and you didn't want to try. But if it's truly a gift, you can't earn it. And Jesus said, it is, and the apostle Paul taught it was. And when you understand, it is a gift of God. And that just changes everything. So here's the question that you need to ask yourself. If you are considering like, hey, I want this adult size kind of faith. If I wanna have this adult starting point of faith, and that's this question here. What standard will use to determine where you stand with God? Like, which one will you use? Because there's really only two possible answers. It's either your behavior or God's grace. That, that's it. Like, most of us were taught it has everything to do with our behavior. So let me just kind of address that for just a second. If I ask you, like, what are the minimal behaviors that you have to keep in order to be good with God? Like, where's the line? Many of you would say, well, the Ten Commandments. 
Well, let me ask you this. Have you kept them all? Like, have you kept them all yesterday, the day before? Like most of you, you, you don't even know what they are. You just know they're important. Or some of you would say, well, here's what I think it is to be in good with God. And, and you would claim that was a standard. And, and the reality is you are somebody that you trusted. You just kind of made it up. And the problem with that is you have no authority to make any kind of rules. You can't even keep your own list. And so you even keep lowering the bar and you still hit your head on it. So if your behavior is the route that you're taking, you're actually never gonna understand if you're in a right standing with God. It's impossible to have any confidence. In fact, Jesus didn't teach this. Jesus taught something brand new. He said, you are in a right standing with God. We just read, the Apostle Paul said, because it's all about God's grace, not your goodness. It was a gift from God, not by your works. That's how you enter in to a relationship with God. It's all grace. So if you want to have an adult starting point for faith, you have to decide, is your standard gonna be your behavior or God's grace? Is it what you do for God or is it what God has done for you? See, religion is always gonna build on what you do for God. It's how powerful men can manipulate and control your actions. And unfortunately, this was the message that many of you received in church. Yeah, it's God's grace, but you better do this, this, and this, and this, you know, to be in good with God. Here's your list. But that's not what Jesus taught. Everything that needed to be done for you to be a son or a daughter of God has already been done by Jesus. Jesus said on the cross, it is finish. You just need to accept the gift of grace. And once you understand that, then here's what you begin to understand. Everything you do becomes a response to what God has done for you. Everything that you do as a follower of Jesus is the fruit of receiving this amazing gift of grace. Everything that you do is the overflow and the outflow of gratitude because of this amazing gift of grace. That's why the apostle Paul said to the Christians in Rome when he was writing them, he says, shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? He said, God forbid. How should we who are no longer sin continue to do that? He's like, we've received this amazing, amazing grace. And when grace changes you, or when you receive that gift of grace, grace changes you and empowers you and your desire and your heart and your passions, they're transformed. So we don't do in order for God to receive us, to be in a right standing with him. Everything you do becomes response to what God has done for you. You that were dead in sin, that's you and that's me. Gratifying the flesh and its desires and its thoughts. We're by nature, children of wrath, even as others. So, so do you know why Christians forgive? You know why Christians forgive? Not to be forgiven. We Christ followers, we forgive because of God's grace 
we have greatly been forgiven. How could we not forgive? I mean, our sin against God was so great that it deserved eternal separation. So how could we not forgive when we have been forgiven so much? Do you know why we as Christians are generous? It's not to get from God. It's because of how generous he's been toward us. God so loved the world that he did what? He gave it all. Do you know why we serve? Because we've been served. I mean, our king, our Lord, our savior, our leader, Jesus, he didn't come to be served, but to what? To serve, and he served us. Do you know why we treat others as more important than ourselves? Because on the cross, Jesus treated us that way. Do you know why we're kind? Because we have been the recipients of extraordinary kindness, extraordinary kindness, because when you layer mercy and grace and forgiveness and God's love all in that, his kindness toward us is beyond anything we could ever imagine. So here's the point. It's time for the bargaining to end and the relationship to begin. See, most of us don't even understand this, but the problem is, is we, we've lived in a bargaining relationship with God. Negotiation relationship instead of a grace-based relationship with God. They're just saying, God, I am a sinner. I am so sinful. I want to receive this gift of grace. Listen, you can be a son or a daughter of God by grace, through faith. It is the gift of God. And when you embrace God's grace, you find peace and you'll never have to wonder again, like, what does God think of me? How does God feel about me? But if you refuse to embrace it, you'll never have peace. And you're always gonna wonder, what does God think of me? So in a moment, I'm gonna give you an opportunity right where you are to embrace this amazing gift of grace because it is amazing, isn't it? It's why it's called amazing grace. In fact, the less amazing you realize you are, it's why the Apostle Paul laid out those first four verses. Because until you realize that you're not amazing at all, grace doesn't become amazing. But the less amazing you realize you are, the more amazing grace becomes. So today, I wanna to give you a chance to an embrace and express gratitude for this amazing grace for the rest of your life. But first, let me give you a question to discuss in your small group or on your way home with family or over lunch today or with friends. And by the way, if you're not part of a small group, as you heard in hosting this morning earlier, um, you can sign up for a small group for this fall semester today. Uh, you can do that on our app or website. You can go by the gallery on your campus. They'd love to help you find a group. Um, just make sure you find and check out the possibilities for yourself. But here's why this question for this week is so important because some of you are really disturbed by what we've talked about today. Some of you, what's in your head is, but what about, I mean, that's just going strong in your head, but what about this, but what about this? I mean, it just feels too dangerous for you based upon what you were taught as a child to say behavior doesn't play a part of me becoming a son or daughter of God. It just feels dangerous to say our behavior is the fruit 
So here's the question that you need to discuss this week, and that is this. What's sure, but what about? You, you just need to get with some people this week and just say it all out, but what about this? What about this? Just go ahead and get it out and deal with it. Now, next week is part seven, and it's gonna be the most disturbing message of the entire conversation. In fact, I'm gonna give you the question this week, so you'll be prepared for it next week. And the question next week is this, what is the most disturbing thing to you about this message? So make sure you come back next week so we can be disturbed together. But first, let's decide if we're gonna relate to God based on what we do or what he's done for us. Because the reality is, until you deal with this question, many of you, you're just gonna keep trying to be at this performance thing with God and you're gonna stay in this bargaining relationship with God rather than a grace-based relationship with God. And when you realize how unamazing you are because you are dead in your trespasses and sins, satisfying the cravings and lust of the flesh and its desires and its thoughts. But God, but God, who's great in his love for us, who's rich in his mercy. And this morning can be your but God moment. And when you receive that amazing grace, it changes everything about your desire, your heart, and your nature. Let me pray for us. With every head bowed and every eye closed, if you're ready to accept this amazing gift of grace, that you've never had an adult conversation with God where you said, God, I, I trust that you're my Lord and you're my savior, you're the king of kings. I'm a sinner. And I deserve eternal separation from you. But I understand how amazing your grace is today. And I want that gift. Would you just say in your heart as I say this out loud, say, Jesus, thank you for being great in love toward me. Thanks for being rich in mercy. So much so that you came to this earth, you lived, you died, you rose again. You paid the price so that I could be saved, literally invited back into a relationship with you. That I could be saved from the power of sin, the penalty of sin, and eventually in your presence in heaven, for all eternity from the presence of sin. So today, I, I confess that I'm anything but amazing. And I've tried to wear that, that mask and, and put that front on. But today, I admit I'm a sinner. And I, I've compared myself. I've done the boasting thing. And I ask for your forgiveness for all my sin against you and every other person and every other relationship that I've killed because of my sin. And I receive your forgiveness as a gift of grace. And I receive your grace. And I just pray that as I move forward and just continue to follow you, as you transform my heart and my mind, that out of gratitude and understanding of this amazing gift of grace, God, that the fruit of my life will reflect the appreciation, the heartfelt 
desire to love you as you've loved me. Thank you for this wonderful new relationship that I can now have with you, all because of your amazing grace. If you prayed that prayer, please let us know either by going to Connect Card, let us know you prayed it there, or you can stop by the gallery. We'd love to talk to you, or I'd love to talk with any of you. Any of our pastors would love to talk with you, help you continue to know the next steps. So Father in heaven, I thank you for this incredible opportunity that we all have to live in your amazing grace. And I pray that any day that we live, any day that we wake up and we're not amazed by your grace, bring us back to the foot of the cross where your blood was shed and applied to our penalty as payment. And help us to again realize, oh my goodness, how great is your love? How rich is your mercy? And may we walk in the gift of knowing that we're loved by the creator of the world, by the savior of our soul, but most of all, by our heavenly father who loves us more than we could ever imagine loving ourselves or loving others. Thank you for this incredible gift. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Hey, pray you have a grace-filled week. Have a great Sunday. We'll see you next week.